and welcome to this new series titled Spiritual Foundations. During this series, we're going to look at building important foundations into our lives that actually help us become that robust Christian that all of us desire to be. Um, now, all of these will be areas we're aware of, but can we make them stronger? And at a time like this, when we're, we're, we're dealing with things in the world that seem to be uncertain, our foundations might feel like they're being shaken. The reality is, as we firm up the principles within this series, I'm trusting that we're going to have a stronger confidence for the future, trusting in, indeed, those things that God wants to place deeply in our hearts. Well, we're starting today with the topic God's Word. God's Word. Let me read to you 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, so the person of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, you'll notice the phrase in there, all Scripture is God-breathed. God breathed. What does it mean? Well, it means that God is a source. He is the intelligence behind it. And uh, when you're thinking of inspiration of Scripture, don't think so much that God dictated it to the various writers word for word. It's more that he guided them in their writing process, like a very careful editor. And so, yes, he used something of their personality something of their writing style, something of their experiences. But in the journey of all that, God was the director behind it all. It is God breathed. It comes from the Lord himself. Another scripture. Second Peter 1.20 Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, let's think of that last phrase there, carried along by the Holy Spirit. How have the Scriptures come about? By people being carried along by the Holy Spirit. That passage actually says that the prophets didn't come up with this themselves. Rather, it's the Holy Spirit that directed them, inspired them to write what they did. Now, some of you will be aware the formal canon of Scripture uh, was decided upon in 382 AD. But that can be very misleading when you read something like that because the reality was uh, the New Testament, of course, the Old Testament was complete. The New Testament was being written as early as 50 AD. Um, some would argue the Gospel of Mark was the beginning of those writings. And once the Gospel of Mark was written on papyrus, the, you know, a scroll of that, it was duplicated and duplicated and duplicated and it was spread all around the Roman Empire. And they did that with book after book after book. Um, and uh, the journey of this is by about AD 90, 95, the New Testament was probably complete. And it was generally agreed the vast majority of the books within the New Testament were considered the Scriptures. So when Paul writes about the Scriptures, he has a body of literature in mind that he's referring to. Now, I know that that final council decided on the 27 books we have today, but can I just remind you that none of those books were really in question except a few of the smaller ones, like Jude, First and Second John, you know, so the bulk of Scripture was firmly agreed upon way back towards the end of the first century. Uh, now, I realize as I share that, and it makes Scripture sound very old, that some, particularly skeptics, will ask, well, how can a book 
that's 2,000 years old possibly be relevant today? Think of the changes in society and technology. It's all so different. Uh, but the reality is the heart of people really hasn't changed at all. Humans still have the same needs that they had back in Jesus' time. And that's why the Bible has been so well received throughout the ages because it addresses the reality of what humans face all around the world. Now, I know that uh, some people raise the question, well, is the Bible actually relevant today? You know, um, I remember seeing an article some years back. I was um, serving at Narry Warren Baptist at the time, and I remember one of the local newspapers had this, uh, they often wrote very good articles that Christians would agree with, but this particular time they had an article that um, it had a bunch of Bibles gathering spider webs, and I think it was uh, from a school environment sort of trying to say that the Bible is completely irrelevant to society today. Now, one of the ways you evaluate whether something's relevant or not is, well, whether, is it popular? If it's unpopular, no one's into it, well, yeah, it might well be irrelevant. But is that the case with the Bible? Any of you who have completed the Alpha series, you hear a portion where Nicky Gumbel talks about God's Word and he'll go through and he'll list the extraordinary numbers of sales of the Bible. You see, this might be news to some, but the Bible is the biggest selling publication, hard copy publication in the world by far. And even in a country here like Australia, which we're not as spiritual as some countries, but the reality is even here, it's not Harry Potter that sells the most or Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. It's actually the Bible. Now, you go to a a local secular bookshop, you know, the Bible might only be in the top 20, but that's because the vast majority of Christians do not buy their Bibles in secular bookshops. They've got such a small range. They'll go to Kurong, a word bookstore, or they'll, they'll go to the Bible Society because they have a massive range. And you get exactly what you want. You tally up the sales of Bible every year, worldwide, and even in this country, they outsell every other book. If it's irrelevant, why are so many people buying it? Um, to give, uh, I, I know some people might raise the claim, yeah, well, Lee, that's, that's, you know, that's a thought, but people don't read much in the way of hard copy books today. You know, most of it's online, isn't it? Fair enough, that's true. That's been a shift in our our culture, for, certainly for a long time now. Um, but then we have to raise the question, well, what are the most read or downloaded books online? But once again, there are various Bible apps and some of them are extraordinarily popular. Let me give you the stats of just one. For instance, this is a, a 2020 statistic, just last year. The Version Bible app has been installed on 459 million devices mostly phones and laptops, of course. And it's in, uh, translated into one, 1,500 languages. Let me read the stat again. 459 million devices have downloaded the Version Bible app. Um, now, and, it, and it just keeps growing. Every second that goes by, a new person downloads it. In fact, uh, you've got a, a total of over 30 million people every year download that Bible app. And there are many other popular Bible apps. Uh, to give a, a, just an interesting statistic here, recently Version Bible app experienced people in over 89,000 cities around the world engage with more than 109 million Bible chapters in just one day. You see, evidence like that immediately tells us that if this, this book is so irrelevant, 
How could it then possibly be so popular? Um, now, I know some people might cite, yeah, but isn't it kind of people who are that, you know, of that nature? They're a bit, I don't know, spiritual, naive, you know. It's that sort of people that are into the Bible. You won't have intellectual people into the Bible, historically or today. That's been an argument. Well, it's an interesting one. Uh, you know, I have a book at home that uh, it's titled 21 Great Scientists That Believe the Bible. And it, it actually goes into detail about these various influential scientists of, our t- of, of, of the years who um, uh, it talks about what they thought about the Bible and how the Bible influenced them. And they believed, you know, when I talked about the Bible being God-breathed, being inspired by the Lord, the Lord himself inspired people, that was their belief about the Bible. Let me mention a few of them. Isaac Newton, um, his, uh, his discoveries, law of gravity, laws of motion, calculus, reflecting telescope, optics. Now, Newton actually taught this. He actually said that science is very difficult to do without God. In fact, our creator God has inspired me in regards to all of my discoveries. That was his belief. A few more. Uh, Michael Faraday, pioneer of electric power. Louis Pasteur, vaccination, immunization, pasteurization. Samuel Morse, inventor of the telegraph and the Morse code. These guys were all avid believers in the Bible. You think of that phrase that was said sometimes in the 17 and 1800s, you know, when people try and discover flight. And some people would say, if God had a given man wings, well then he might have wanted him to fly. Or the more common phrase, if God had wanted man to fly, he'd have given him wings. But you don't find that phrase in the Bible. In fact, uh, quite the opposite. The Wright brothers, who are generally regarded as those who developed flight, um, they were avid believers, staunch believers in the Bible. Okay, well, let's move to someone modern. Dr. Francis Collins, director of the Human Genome Project. Uh, so that's, that's the mapping of human DNA. Um, considered the most significant scientific undertaking of our time. This prodigious intellect was one time in a chat with one of his friends who did challenge him a little bit. So Francis, now, you're an atheist. How did you arrive at that conclusion? Because I thought science people, they carefully examined the information, the facts available, and then came to a conclusion. But you haven't done that, have you? And Francis had to admit that he was an atheist by conviction, but he, he actually thought, yeah, well, I've never done that. I'm, I'm an atheist because I think, well, why not? You know, how can you believe in God? But I have never looked into the evidence. So he did. He took his friend's challenge up and he decided he would look into the historicity of Jesus Christ, the archaeological evidence, the evidence in the ancient documents and so on. As he studied, he was overwhelmed with the evidence that he found that the, the biblical Jesus that Christians believe in is very much the Jesus of history. And he was also discovered that big moments such as the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and indeed the resurrection of Jesus Christ had strong historic evidence. He said he got to the place where he thought the evidence is overwhelming. It would be unscientific of me not to believe. And uh, he had had an encounter with God Uh, along the journey of all this and became a believer in Jesus Christ. So certainly um, the Bible's relevant. You can see that through its popularity. 
it's not like it's a, you've got to throw your brain out and live by faith only by to be embracing the Bible. doesn't matter how academic or scientific you are. Many of the great academic people of our time are avid believers in the Bible. So today, let's look at eight principles, just briefly, a moment on each one, that get these firmed up in our lives today. Number one, read God's Word. Read God's Word. Now, that might sound obvious, but actually, a lot of the time, people tend to pluck out a scripture. Nothing wrong with that. That's fine. And, and people tend to read study notes and do studies, but actually reading the Bible like a book. How often do we do it? You know, it's, unfortunately, it's not a real common practice, but I think it should be. You know, and of course, there's many short books of the Bible. You read the book of Colossians or the book of Philippians, you know, have it done in 15 minutes, you know, short four, four short chapters. Um, I can still remember one day um, I was a relatively new believer and I decided I'd set a time, a chunk of time and read the whole book of Proverbs. You know, it's a, quite a big book. And, uh, and I was reading it carefully, even jotting a few notes in the margin as I went along. And two hours, 20 minutes later, I'd finished. But it was a fascinating undertaking because uh, as you journey through reading a book like that, it, it, it does give you a somewhat of a different perspective than studying it. And uh, I found that some of the big themes that came out were recurring. And, uh, you know, it, it was an interesting experience. Can I encourage you? Be someone who reads the Word of God. Uh, it tells us in Revelation 1.3, Blessed is the one who reads the word of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it. We have a lovely promise there, don't we? Another principle is this, listen to God's word. Number two, listen to God's word. Um, we uh, recently uh, did a series uh, titled Building for the Future. And as we looked at Ezra in the last chapter of that series, we saw him uh, speaking from an elevated position where thousands of people were listening to the red word of God. Uh, let me read that to you in Nehemiah 8.3. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of all the men, women and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. They listened attentively and obviously it was for hours six in the morning to about 12 noon and i did share that it may have been uh because we know the levites were also involved that ezra may have read uh you know for half an hour or so and then they further expounded it in uh in breaking up the crowd and then back to ezra reading it may have been like that but the fact is whether the reading from the scriptures and then the explanation of it they listened attentively. It was part of how they followed the one true God, was listening to Scripture. It's something I do all the time, I must admit, myself. Uh, one of the things that I, I do most commonly is uh, I use the NIV dramatised version. Um, and so if you want, want to find where that is, just, just uh, simply search NIV uh, audio Bible and then click on video um, and there it is just put in whatever book you want what I like about it is it, it is dramatized so you've got actors playing the various characters still word for word from the Bible music in the background it just brings it to life that little bit more but I would probably spend on average I reckon 45 minutes a day listening to the word of God it's a life-changing thing it continues to say in Acts 2:42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, so this is the New Testament. 
the, um, the church by this time, you know, it, it quickly grew and um, became really a mega church. And their church services were actually every Sunday. You know, so, sorry, every day, not just every Sunday. Sunday was a very important day for them. It commemorated the resurrection of Jesus. But every day they met in the temple courts. And what would happen? They'd worship and they'd hear preaching from the apostles. They were devoted to hearing that preaching. You see, the preaching of God's word is a powerful thing too. And uh, I, I listen to preachers regularly as well. They are good practices to get God's word into our lives. And by the way, with the recent series we completed, the Nehemiah series, uh, you go on our, our new website. It's pretty easy to navigate. Uh, if you missed any of the Building for the Future series, uh, just go back and uh, watch or listen to those messages. Number three, memorize God's word. Memorize God's word. It tells us in Psalm 119.11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Um, the Navigators, which is a, a Bible study series for, for new believers and, and onwards, um, which I, I, I did when I was a, a new believer myself, tremendous series. Um, one of the things that they do is they actually use that scripture to say, to get God's word into your heart, one of the methods, a very important one, is to memorize it. You memorize it, you've taken a fair bit of time over it, and then it's there, so you've got it. You know, it's, it's in your mind, so to speak. It's with you all the time. And uh, I, 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 I had to anyway in a discipleship course I was doing as a new believer, which had the same principle. But the first two books of the Navigators too, um, they encourage you to memorize a scripture every week that you're doing a new study. And, uh, you know, I, you know it, it can be challenging. And you're thinking, yeah, well, Lee, I, I have a shocking memory. I can barely remember people's names, let alone a whole verse from the Bible. Um, well, look, I have, a, I have a rubbish memory too. In fact, um, I can't remember my phone number. I have to look it up on my phone. So what's your phone number? Well, you know, I'll send it to you. <laughs> I'll look it up, you know, because I can't remember it. I don't have a great memory, but I've, I've chosen to discipline myself in certain areas. And so it's, you know, whether you have that scripture on your phone that you're trying to memorize or whether I used to use business cards quite often, just put a couple of those in my wallet and I pull them out a few times. Way back when I was in the secular work environment, I used to just do it at work, pull them out regularly. But I ended up as a new believer, I had about 100 verses that I'd memorized because I believed that it helps get the word of God in your heart. And it's amazing how you can use it when you're talking with people too, you know, particularly when you're trying to share the reality of Jesus Christ, when you're witnessing to people. Um, let's have a look at the next point. Number four, study God's word. Study God's word. And a scripture to go with this, Acts 17.11. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than the, those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. You've got the idea? Uh, so these Berean Christians, um, well, well, of those on the journey of being Christians, because many of them were believers in the one true creator God, but Paul was introducing to them that Jesus was the Messiah. And they examined the Old Testament scriptures to see if what Paul was saying was true. In other words, they studied the Bible to discover the truth. And this is a good principle. You know, you and I need to also study the scriptures. Many of us have a study Bible. In fact, if you don't have one, the one I would highly recommend is the NIV Life Application Bible. 
the Life Application Bible. It's, it's my favourite on the market. Very, very good application along with the study notes. Um, you can go deeper, of course. You can, you can buy yourself a, 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 you know, a Greek word study book and a Hebrew study book. Um, you can buy yourself some commentaries that relate to that particular book of the Bible that you might be digging into. But studying the Scriptures is a powerful thing. You know, it helps deepen our understanding of God's Word. Number five, meditate on God's Word. Meditate on God's Word. Joshua 1.8 says, Keep this book of the law. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night. So you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then your way will be prosperous and successful. Fantastic promise, isn't it? Your way is going to be prosperous. In other words, your life is going to be prosperous and successful. What a great promise. But there's a premise before the promise. What is it? Meditate on God's word day and night. You know, what does it mean to meditate? Well, reflect upon it. Think about it deeply. Uh, It actually can include speaking it out. Kind of speaking out the word of God. And so it's this idea that we're going to reflect, think, even speak out the Word of God. In the journey of doing that, so often application comes to our own life and we realize, what is God saying to me? Meditating on God's Word, powerful thing. Number six, discuss God's Word. Discuss God's Word. 6.6 of Deuteronomy. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home when you walk along the way, when you lie down and when you get up. And so immediately he gives us some examples there. Of course, course today we think of discussing God's Word. A Bible study group is a fantastic environment to do that. But here in the Scripture it says, hey, talk about the Scriptures at home. You know, talk about them as soon as you get up. Talk about them when you're going to bed. You know, like it's this idea, saturate your life talking about Scripture. And it also has this interesting phrase, talk about them as you walk along the road. Now, what's that talking about? Well, it was apparently customary at that time that as people travelled, you know, whether they're walking or on horse and cart, that people coming the opposite direction, they'd often stop and talk for a bit. Uh, very culturally normal. So in other words, it's saying, talk about it with complete strangers, people that you've, you, you know, you've just met somewhere. You know, I remember occasion actually at, at uh, Vic Roads where this was... Uh, just one of those realities and anyone knows you're sitting there waiting to um, whether you're registering a car, a new car or whatever it is, you know, it often takes a long time and so you've got like 20, 25 minutes there waiting for your number to come up. Anyway, I got talking with this guy called Harley and he, and you know, we're talking about spiritual things and then he starts to tell me his story and not long before, you know, um, only, only a matter of months before, he um, was coming down, I think it was from New South Wales on a bus and he was so down, his, his partner had left him, he wasn't supposed to be seeing his kids anymore, he had issues with drugs, and he decided that that day he was going to come down to celebrate Christmas by himself on the beach with some drugs and overdose. He's going to take his life. And somehow, as the bus stopped near Holy Trinity Anglican Church, he had this strange prompting, Christmas Day, got out and went in to the church. And, uh, and uh, Pastor Andrew, I think it is, Reverend Andrew, he was preaching the word of God, faithfully sharing the gospel. And um, he sat under the preached word of God. His heart opened up to Christ. And uh, within the next few days, he'd become a Christian. 
And the story goes on. You know, he had, partly because of his drug use, he had a serious heart condition. And uh, there wasn't going to be easy, any, any easy answers for this. He was prayed for, for healing. And he was dramatically healed. Went back to the doctors and they couldn't find any problem anymore. They couldn't explain it. Harley tried to explain it to them. They weren't interested in that explanation that God healed him. But they gave him a clean bill of health. And I was so impressed with his story. I thought, man, I'm going to get him out to share his testimony one night at church. You know, but you see, that's the thing. You talk with people along the way. Chat about the Bible wherever you are. And it's amazing the encouraging stories you're going to receive. Number seven, delight in God's word. Delight in God's word. Psalm 119, 47, and then 20, and then 14. For our delight in your, for I delight in your commands because I love them. I reach out for your commands, which I love. Here's another one. My soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. And finally, I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. You can see there the psalmist is filled with a sense of love for God's word. As the point says, they delight in God's word. How's your passion for God's word? You know, I, I'm personally convinced that um, the more we practice the principles I'm talking about today, the more God's word becomes something that we do thirst for, becomes something that's a delight in our lives. Um, that last one there says, I rejoice over the scriptures like someone who's discovered great riches. You know, just imagine this for a moment. You've got, you've got an uncle that you get on with really well. You know, he's a great guy and uh, you enjoy his company, you spend time together. The chap's very wealthy. And then one day you get this check in the mail and, it, and, and a note from your uncle saying, look, I'm getting on in life. I've got a lot of dough. You know, I'm never going to be able to spend it all. Look, here's half a million. Have some fun. And you think, oh, my goodness, the guy's given me half a million bucks. I believe it. Now, imagine the rejoicing you feel at that time. Well, the psalmist is saying that's what it's like. I rejoice in the scriptures as if I've just been given great riches. Uh, if you're thinking about, well, how can I get that kind of that sense of delight in God's word more? One of the things I've been doing just this week, I've been listening to Psalm 119 regularly. It is the longest chapter in the Bible and it's, it's right at the heart of the Bible. I'm sure that's all part of God's plan. And it's, uh, I think it's got 179 verses and everyone, bar one, mentions the scriptures. You know, different words for them, commandments or statutes and so forth. But every one of them mentions the scriptures. And it's a great psalm, I think, just to rekindle a fresh love for God's word. Um, so let me encourage you. Why don't you spend some time in Psalm 119 over this next week? Listen to it, read it, reflect upon it, allow God to get it into your heart. Finally, only one more. Number eight, live God's word. Live God's word. Now, can I suggest out of all the points we've made today, this is actually the most important. Um, as much as um, all of these other principles are extremely valid, living it, I think, is God's ultimate purpose. You remember the Pharisees. Now, Jesus had great conflict with some of the Pharisees. And they did know the Old Testament like the back of their hand. They memorized the first five books, in fact. But they often didn't live it. And that's what Jesus was pointing out. See, God's heart is that we live the word. It's not enough to have all of these reflective stuff going on and then we don't actually do what it says. 
You know, James says this, 122, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. <laughs> you know, you've got a real heart for the scripture. I've actually occasionally met someone who loves the Bible, but you look at their life and you think, oh, well, that's interesting. <laughs> you know, do what it says, says James. Yeah, don't just listen to it and that's it. You're deceiving yourself. Do what it says, live it out. Psalm 119, 34 and 60. Give me understanding so I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. And then 60, I will hasten and not delay to obey your commands. A couple of things we learn there. The psalmist says, I want to do it with all my heart. You know, not reluctantly, kind of not, oh, I guess I've got to do this because God said so. Isn't it great if we can do it with all our heart? And secondly, the psalmist says there, you know, I will hasten to obey God's word. You know, ever read something in the Bible and thought, oh, yeah, I should do that. And a couple of months later, oh, you saw it again. Thought, oh, I, still haven't, I still haven't done that. <laughs> Rather, the psalmist is saying here, hasten to do it. When you, when you see this new teaching, you think, oh, actually, I really need to do that. Be quick to obey the word of God. Well, friends, um, we've made uh, eight points today. Let's just recap on what they were. Number one, read God's word. Two, listen to God's word. Three, memorize God's word. Four, study God's word. Five, meditate on God's word. Six, discuss God's word. Seven, delight in God's word. Eight, live God's word. Read, listen, memorize, study, meditate, discuss, delight, and live God's word. Can I suggest if we want to get that firm foundation of God's word in our life, those seven aspects, eight aspects will make that solid. It's a foundation all of us need. Um, now, if you're thinking, well, Lee, that's a lot of points to remember, eight points, mate. Well, um, online, uh, you, you go to our website and there is a study for this uh, very uh, message available. Uh, you can uh, ha have a look at that and also towards the end of the study it makes those precise points all the scriptures I've been using today are written within that study in fact blokes and babes will be doing it this Sunday night let me finish with a final story you know I think today we probably take the scriptures for granted you know um, we haven't grown up in a time um, if we've grown up in Australia where the scriptures haven't been available you see, today around the world, there's about 50 countries where it's illegal to own and share a Bible. 50 countries, five zero, lots. And you know, there was a time in England where you could not own an English Bible. Seriously, it was illegal. You have a Latin one, but not an English one. Uh, you go to church in England in the 1500s, uh, the services were in Latin, which is fine for the really well-educated, they could speak. Latin, they could read Latin, but for most people in Britain, they couldn't. So servers, you know, go to a church service, and yes, they had the beautiful ornate buildings. And, and, and sure, there was, and there was a mystery about it all. You know, the robes, the smells, the bells, all, all, the, all that sort of ornate stuff, but you didn't understand it. Now, to give you an idea why this was the case, I'll share a brief story here about a family, a very sad story. You see, it was considered um, blasphemous to translate the Holy Scriptures in such a, a base trading language like English. And so Greek was okay. 
Latin was considered holy, but not English. Well, a family, probably no doubt a committed Christian family, they had decided to teach their, their children the Lord's Prayer and the Ten Commandments in English. Well, they were taken to court for doing this. That's blasphemous, it was considered. And because they felt they had done nothing wrong and they weren't about to repent of something they felt God wanted them to do, they were burned at the stake. I do not exaggerate. 1519 Coventry, England. Well, that was the Times. William Tyndale, he was an educated man, real gift for languages. He wanted to write a translation into English, starting with the New Testament for the British people. He uh, tried to go to the powers that be at the time, approached the, the power players of the Catholic Church to see if he could get permission. Ultimately, permission was not granted. So he, uh, he left to Germany where he'd have some more freedom and he set about the work. Significant task. But as I said, he's a gifted man. Tyndale completed his New Testament. Hard copy Bibles, hard copy uh, cover. Sent them out. How did they get them into England? Well, they smuggled them in. So in big sacks of grain and uh, uh, other flour and that sort of thing, they came into England and they came into England in huge numbers. And so obviously some of the, the, those who were leading the trade world knew about this. The Bibles would be taken out and they sold literally like British hotcakes, even though very expensive. Nevertheless, they just, the British couldn't get enough of them. Now you might say, but... Britain wouldn't have been overly literate at the time, would it? Well, no, it wasn't, but that doesn't mean you don't want one. And so people would buy a, the pirate Bible, as it was called, because it was illegal to own one. And, uh, and, 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 you know, you got William. He'd just say to his friend George, Now, George, you're an educated man. My wife, this Friday, she's cooking a big leg of lamb, some lovely vegetables, and I'll tell you what, her gravy's the best in the county. Why don't you come over? Bring your family, we'll have a lovely meal, and then could you read us a few chapters? from the pirate bible and that's what was happening all over britain so whether educated or not people wanted that bible pubs you name it out in the stables sometimes just gathering outside that people were reading the scriptures now they could get caught they could get imprisoned for this but nevertheless they kept on doing it and of course god's word was going out and because it was going out amongst the people of course people were discovering salvation wonderful wonderful thing uh, actually a funny story about all this there was a bishop who was trying to stamp it all out and uh, the way he would do it he would just buy as many as possible so and of course being a well-to-do wealthy man he was always charged top dollar for them and he just bought a huge number of them he would just burn them of course now what he didn't realize is he ended up becoming Tyndale's greatest funder <laughs> So Tyndale was making so much money out of those sales from this fella that um, he was able to do a much bigger revised rerun of those Bibles. Well, um, unfortunately, a little bit like, I guess, Judas betraying Jesus for money, a fellow that um, William Tyndale th thought was a friend. <sighs> betrayed him for money. He'd been moving around Germany to avoid the British authorities and ultimately um, ended up in uh, Belgium. But he was caught and betrayed there. He was taken back to England, arrested in 1535 and in 1536. 
he was executed because he had translated the scriptures into English. His final prayer was this. Lord, open the eyes of the King of England. Open the eyes of the King of England. And despite all of his faults, King Henry VIII, two years later, mandated that as it was called the Great Bible, became compulsory that an opened great Bible in English was at the pulpit of every church and um, not during the service course but people were allowed to come in flick his pages and read it and of course the sale of uh, the Bible throughout Great Britain was greatly encouraged Tyndale's life was not in vain shall we close in prayer Father here today we're reminded of I guess the the privilege of having your Bible today. There have been many that have died for the fact that we have an English Bible today. Lord, we want to hold on to the preciousness of it. And I pray, Father, that um, you would make this spiritual foundation stronger in our life today. Father, we think of the words of the psalmist, open my eyes that I might see wonderful things in your word. I want to pray that for everyone listening to this message. Open their eyes that they might see wonderful things in your word. Help us, Lord, to build this foundation stronger and stronger into our life today in the name of Jesus.